All right. Good morning, everyone. Okay, so over the last couple of weeks, we have been in a series called Prophetic Voices in Contested Spaces. It's very difficult to say. Um, And today we're going to be looking at Ezekiel, who is a prophet in the Bible. Now, for some context, Ezekiel was a prophet of the Lord, and he was living in pretty tragic times. So Israel, God's chosen people, who were chosen to demonstrate his goodness to others, and they were meant to be a people who were set apart for him time and time again were breaking the covenant that they had with him and they were sinning against the Lord. They were doing things which were detestable in the eyes of the Lord, worshipping idols, um, they, they were serving people in, with injustice and so the Lord because he is gracious and he is a judge and he has to serve justice, he, he met them and he, he caused them to suffer the consequences of their actions. And so God split and scattered those people among the nations in exile and took them out of the promised land, which he had given to them. And so Ezekiel was one of these Israelites who was taken into Babylon in exile. And this is where God rose him up and his prophetic voice to speak to God's people. He was risen up to communicate God's heart and to communicate messages about how they had sinned against him and what he was going to do about it. Now, as we've seen over the last few weeks, sometimes God would communicate through his prophets in quite odd or strange ways. So I think we had Andy with a linen belt. We had Tom with some boxes. I will not be doing any of that today, just to let you know. But, but Ezekiel did use a prophetic parable that he acted out, which I will demonstrate, but it's not as dramatic, just want to say. So today we're in Ezekiel 37, 15 to 28. But before we get into it, I don't know if this is a me thing or if others have this as well, but when I read the scriptures, I very much see it as a story about me and me as an individual. Maybe that's me looking through a 2023 individualistic society lens. But actually, when we look at this passage, And when we look at a lot of the stories and a lot of the letters in the New Testament, God wasn't writing to one individual, but he was actually writing to a people. He's writing to a group. And in light of what Jesus has done, he's writing to the church. So today, yes, we're going to think about how this applies to our personal life. But I want us to think about what is God saying to us as a unified church today, living in this town, living in Croydon. And so this was a prophetic parable, um, and it was one of hope for the Israelites in this dark time. It was one where God showed that despite their shortcomings, despite their sin, and how he'd separated them, that he wasn't done with them yet. And he was going to draw people back from the nations to be a people in holiness, under a king, as a sign to the other nations of who he is. And we see that fulfilled through Jesus our King. So we're going to read the first chunk from verse 15. So... The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick of wood and write on it belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with him. Then take another stick of wood and write on it belonging to Joseph, that is to Ephraim and all the Israelites associated with him. Join them together into one stick so that they will become one in your hand. When your people ask you, won't you tell us what you mean by this? Say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand, and of the Israelite tribes associated with him, and join it to Judah's stick. I will make them into a single stick of wood, 
and they will become one in my hand. Hold this before their eyes, the sticks you have written on, and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather from them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land and on the mountain of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. And so the first thing that we can see from this passage is that the God that we serve is a God of unity. God's heart is to bring people together, regardless of who they are, where they're from, or what they've done, to unify and hold them together through faith in the one King, Jesus. And so Tom, when you shared that word that Zach said earlier, it really made me think, yeah, like regardless of who you are, where you've come from, what your background is, you belong here and you belong in Jesus's kingdom because he gave up his life for people, for the lost, for the least, for the last. And so for these exiles in Babylon that Ezekiel was speaking to, they would have been familiar with the names that were written on the sticks, which maybe we're not so familiar with. It was Joseph and Judah. And historically, there were 12 tribes of Israel, but there was a bit of hostility between them. And due to the sin, God split them up into two kingdoms. So you had the tribe of Joseph, and they had been overtaken by the Assyrian Empire 150 years before this passage. So the Israelites that Ezekiel was preaching to must have thought, why are you speaking to us about them? Like, we have our own issues. They've got nothing to do with us anymore. And actually, I'm sure God could have just taken the message and spoken the message for Ezekiel about one of these sticks. But actually, God's heart and his promise and his kingdom isn't one of isolation. It's one of unity and union, and he brings people together. Now, realistically speaking, both of those kingdoms had sinned in God's eyes. They'd both fallen short of God's glory, and both were in need of a savior. So God used this image to show how really all of us have fallen short of God's glory. And we are all in need of a savior, of this one king, Jesus. And so we see multiple instances throughout the Bible where God breaks down hostility and brings unity through Jesus. And one of the clearest parables that I can think of is the story of Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. So Cornelius, he was a Roman centurion and he followed Jesus, but he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't one of God's chosen people. And yet, God sent a vision to Peter, who was one of the apostles, and told him, don't call anything unclean which I have called clean. And through the Holy Spirit bringing them together, God brought unity between, well, unity into the church. And so people like us could be a part of God's promises, a part of what the history that God had been writing. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, he kind of describes it a little bit like this. In Ephesians 2, 14 to 16, he says, For he himself, being Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility." God's heart is for unity, and he calls us to be a church that welcomes the lost, the lost, the least, the foreigner, the outcast, into his kingdom and into his church with the same grace that he has extended to us on the cross. 
And so God is also building a diverse church because this is people from many tribes and many nations and many tongues. And I don't know, if you look around the room, you might see quite a few people from different nations. Uh, anyone want to shout out where you're from or where your family's from? Nigeria, Jamaica? Say Lucia, anything? Brazil, Guyana, anyone else? Huh? Grenada. Okay, so we've got lots of round of applause for the nations, guys. There we go. And it's a beautiful thing, but when we think about being a church and we think about people from different nations and tongues, or even just people of different ages or with different upbringings, sometimes that can cause some tension or misunderstandings. And I think as God's church, especially now as we contend and we want to see God move in power, we need to learn to love each other with our cultural differences. Now, I grew up, um, I grew up in a Nigerian household Nigerian culture, but kind of raised in British culture. And I know sometimes Nigerians can be really, really brutally honest. I don't know, like, I remember in my old church, there was one time I was just walking, and one of the aunties was just like, hey, you're looking very fat. I'm like, I'm like what did I do? Or another time I was like, oh, let me wear some mascara. And she's like, hey, why are your eyelashes just flutter, flutter, flutter? And I was like... Just every little thing, but I had to, I learned over time that actually she wasn't being offensive, she wasn't being mean, and it was a cultural difference that actually God is using to show me different people from different tribes and how we relate to each other. And I think that's something so beautiful about this church, that we have people from different nations, and we need to be aware of that so that it won't be used as something that's divisive when actually God's heart is unity. And with Jesus as our king, his covenant is of peace, he can lead us by his spirit so that we can learn to live in peace with one another. And if you think about it, the culture around us says, cancel anyone who disagrees with you. Cancel anyone who's different from you. But Jesus says, come to me. And like these two separate pieces of sticks, I will hold you together and I will help you to be unified. So I want to challenge us all to just think about the people from church that you speak to or that you interact with. Are they similar to you in race, in class, in age? And now have a think. Maybe you're like, mm, no, you know, there's, there's, they're quite diverse or whatever. But now have a think about someone in church who you wouldn't really ordinarily go and relate to. Maybe just because they're a different age, a different circle to you. And I want you to, I want you to ask Jesus actually this week, is there someone that he wants you to go and meet and learn about and love? Because actually, love is more than just a feeling, it's an action. And it's a command that Jesus tells us to do with one another. So as a church, we can push further into unity. Now the second thing that God highlights through this passage with Ezekiel is a matter of sin. So verse 23 says, They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images, or with any of their offenses. For I will save them from all their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. So for the people that Ezekiel was speaking to, they were under the law. And because of the corruption of human hearts, they could not uphold their deal that they'd made with God in the covenant with him. But God was speaking this message of hope to these people and saying that where they couldn't uphold their part of the deal, Jesus was going to come and he was going to do it for them that he was going to come to us as a saviour and wash us clean, fill us with his spirit when we believe in him. Ephesians 2, 4-5 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that we have been saved. At this point, they hadn't done anything good. Half of them didn't even understand what Ezekiel was doing. I mean, God spoke to Ezekiel at the start and said, I'm going to have you do all of these prophetic acts, but a lot of people aren't going to listen to you. And yet, God still came and still gave this word to them because of his infinite love and mercy and grace. But when we are in Christ now, we are a new creation and the power of sin has been broken. But we still do live in a fallen world, in a contested space where we'll still get tempted and we mess up. And there's a work of evil that's pulling us away from the life that God has available for us. I like to think of it as we're new creation, but sometimes we have old tendencies. And for us to really go through a process of being sanctified, which means made more into the image of Christ, Each day, we as individuals, but as a church, need to humble ourselves enough to surrender to the life that Jesus has available for us, the way of Jesus. And that looks like being in his word and figuring out what does he actually have to say about our lives. Through prayer and daily meditating and asking him to highlight areas where we haven't haven't lived for him. And through the spiritual disciplines that he has available to us. Ephesians 4.22 to 24 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So God is calling us as a church and as a people to be in true holiness and true righteousness, to be made new in the attitudes of our minds. And we can do that by fixing our eyes and fixing our minds on Jesus. But this can be hard. It can be hard. Um, Yesterday, me, Hannah and Alice, we were meant to move into a new house. And it was a very stressful experience. Um, In the morning, we ended up going to a state agent, which we thought would be like a 20-minute, you know, just sit, sign a letter. Two and a half hours later... With like five different tenancy agreements, all of which were wrong. I was hungry, I was tired, I was grumpy, I was, I was angry. And the last thing I wanted to do was really surrender anything to God, even though I knew it was what he wanted us to do. And so me and Hannah ended up driving to our house with the keys. Alice came into the car. I think something, something happened with Hannah's parents' car as well. It had broken down on the way. So it was just a really high, intense situation. And Alice started praying, and in that moment, I was like, oh, this is is the right thing to do. But I could feel myself cloaking myself in that old creation. And I was like, oh, and I could feel the tension. But actually, as she was praying, I felt myself, like something stirring in me, which is the Holy Spirit, which cries out, I have a father, which calls us into our identities as children of God. And I was like, okay you know what, no, this is, this is true. This isn't something I should carry on my own. Let's surrender this to God. And yeah, there was a shift. There was a shift in my heart. The rest of the day was still very tragic. <laughs> but I had a different mindset because now my eyes were fixed on Jesus and I knew that he was there and he was present in that situation. Knowing that, it wasn't me being like, oh, you know what, I want to be a new creation. Actually, it was having a sister in Christ who came alongside and who stirred it up in my spirit. And so, again, when it comes to this, we are a church, we are a people, we are not individuals. 
And so we should be in community with one another, lift each other up when we're low, pray for one another. Iron sharpens iron, and we draw each other closer to Christ. So when I talk about humility, we need to be humble enough and vulnerable enough with a few trusted people to actually let them go, know what's going on in our lives, or actually welcome them in and invite them in so that they can stand in place for us when we don't have the strength to ourselves. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And when it comes to sin, there are lots of... I think it's shame that the, the enemy sometimes uses to hold us captive. But actually, when we come before the Lord and we surrender the things that we're struggling with or the things on our heart to him, then he will help us through. And sometimes that is through people praying for us. And so there are many things that people might struggle with, like anger or lust, evil desires or greed or idolatry. But whatever it is, I encourage you so much that in community, bring it to a few trusted people so that they can pray for you because there is power in confession and if something's in the darkness and it's brought into the light that's where Jesus meets you he can come into the darkness but there, there's something about you surrendering what you're going through to him so Jesus wants to sanctify his church and make us more like him where we surrender we don't live in that old creation we step into the new and the final thing the last chunk of this passage this is what God says through Ezekiel I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. So when God was going to unify his people and he was going to sanctify them, he then said, I'm going to dwell among them. Now, in Ezekiel's time, the sanctuary would have been the temple in Jerusalem. That was the dwelling place of God, which had just been destroyed. And so for the people he was talking to, they were probably heartbroken that this, this thing, this place where God would dwell has been taken away. But actually, for us as followers of Jesus today, we know that we are now a temple of the Holy Spirit and that God has poured out his spirit on all men transforming us and calling us more and more into his likeness and into our being as children of God. But again, this wasn't written singular. This was written to us, to we, to a people. And there is something powerful when we as the body of Christ come together and gather together with all our different parts and allow the Holy Spirit to move and dwell among us. When we're hungry and we ask and invite God to move in our midst and we step into the gifts that he's given us. So again, in Ephesians, Paul says in uh, chapter 2, verse 22, and in him, you two are being built together to become, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So together, God is building his church and together, God wants to dwell among us and he uses us for different purposes. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the different gifts of the spirit and the different kind of services that, um, that come from that same spirit. There's the common good of wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, prophecy, miraculous miracles, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. There are so many ways that the Holy Spirit moves and works through us as a body, and we all have a part to play. No one is discredited from being used by God. If you believe in Jesus, he will work through you. In fact, God worked through donkeys. 
So if he can work through a donkey, he can work through you. And there is an eagerness if we are hungry. Like as a church, we have been contending for a spiritual awakening, that God would come and he would dwell in our midst, that he would move us and transform us and then send us out to go and bless and be a blessing to other people. And we need to get into place. We need to ready our hearts and prepare ourselves for what God wants to do. And then the nations will know that he is the Lord and it is him who makes them holy. When we ask and invite Holy Spirit to move in us, then that will be evident to those around us. Then there'll be a hunger for us to go and meet, minister to people. And God will draw people to us that we can speak to and preach to and draw into his kingdom. Because Jesus is Lord and that's good news. And that's something that's not just for us in this room, but that's available to everyone. So Jesus is unifying his church, sanctifying his church, and he's building us up, building his church through his spirit so that we can demonstrate his goodness to the world around us.